Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Marnie Swedberg, and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now, I encourage you to sit back, buckle up, and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking, the kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going. Well, this is Marnie Swedberg, and I welcome you to another edition of Marnie's Friends, and I'm excited to have you here with us this afternoon. We have got a great show for you today. It's speaker training, secrets to securing your speaking success, and our guest today is Cindy Ashton. She's one of my personal mentors and coaches, and she's also a speaking voice and presentation skills trainer, a singer, entertainer, and speaker with over 15 years of experience touring and training all over North America on multiple platforms. She's received awards from both President Obama and the Queen of England and has appeared in multiple media, including Metro News, on the front page of the Lifestyle section of the Times and in Performance Magazine alongside Donald Trump. You can learn more about her always at yourpersuasivevoice.com. And Cindy is here to share with us today her secrets to securing your speaking success. We've got a great show for you. First, we're going to talk about perfect topics, how to pick them, the number one key to discovering your best topic, how to distinguish between a genuine and pain message, the three most important elements in every speech, the biggest mistakes speakers make when creating their talks and what you can do about it, and a great way to get bookings and credibility. And then we're going to move into polishing your presentation skills and and finish up with powerfully connecting on and off stage. At this time, I'd like to introduce our guest, Cindy Ashton. Welcome to you. Hello, it's Marnie. Thank you so much for having me, and hello to everybody listening. I'm so thrilled I get to spend a little bit of time with you. Yay, and I know you, I'm excited that you guys get to meet Cindy today because she is, she, well, obviously, she's a rock star speaker. <laughs> Anybody who gets a, gets an award from President Obama and the Queen of England, I mean, how many people do we know that did that, Cindy? That's pretty impressive. I'm excited especially to share you with the listeners because you've taught me a lot. And uh, when it comes to speaking, there's a lot to learn. And so we are going to just plow right through this stuff today. You guys can always learn more about Cindy over at her website, yourpersuasivevoice.com. But Cindy, right now, I know that you are really passionate about helping people pick a topic that's really going to work for them, that's going to make it possible for them to succeed. So what is the number one key to discovering your own best topic, whoever you are? You know, that's a fantastic question because I think that most people would give the advice of, look at what's happening in the marketplace today and where the needs are, and then you decide on your topic. But here's the thing. I've seen a lot of people spend a lot of money trying to do something that they think that, you know, the world wants or their market wants, and they end up being huge failures because they're simply not passionate about it. And people can feel your energy. They can feel your drive. They can feel your excitement. And to choose a topic because that's what the market needs without any drive, happiness, expertise, or passion behind it is the fastest way for you to fail. So I take the approach of let's find out where your unique brilliance is. And I'm going to give you a couple of exercises right now that you could do to figure this out. But, you know, let's figure out what you're brilliant at naturally and let's figure out where your skill set is and then let's figure out from there, once we know your topics, then you can find the markets because we live in a very abundant world and there's lots of people that all need help in different areas. So why choose one area over another because you think that's where you're going to make money? You will make more money if people can feel your passion. It's so much easier to get on board with somebody enthusiastic and ready to take off to the sky with what they do. So one of the exercises I want you to do in terms of finding your topic is ask yourself this series of questions. The first is, is what is the advice that I am always giving to people? I want you to find out what is naturally your best you. And a lot of the time, because we are so raised to work hard and struggle to strive and 
push past the pain in order to succeed. We get the message that if we didn't fight hard or if we didn't have a struggle, that it's not worth anything. And then we forget to tap into what naturally comes to us. So the first question is, is start to look at what is the advice that you're always giving to people? What is the thing that you cannot shut up about? And then the second thing you want to do I start to go through your days and have a little notebook with you or take notes on your iPad or whatever you carry with you that's digital and start to notice when your body feels open, when you feel free, when you feel energized, when you feel relaxed and start to take note of what are you doing, what are you talking about and then also notice during your day when you feel stressed, when you feel pushing, when you feel tight and take notes of what you're doing and what topics you're playing with at that time and then in a couple of weeks, start to look back and see if there's patterns. And, you know, I had a client come to me who was, you know, um, a life coach, and he really thought his purpose was to help singers overcome obstacles, and he did this, this exercise and discovered that his deepest passion was dogs, and now he's opening a dog training, walking thing, and he's, he's attracting you know, customers like fleas, and he's in New York City where there's a million dog walkers, and yet he just opens this thing, and it's everybody's flying to him, and that's his topic. It's about dogs and taking care of them and knowing that they're their sacred pup, and, you know, he just can't be quiet about it, and it was completely unexpected. So when you're looking for your topics, take a couple of weeks and start to really observe what naturally comes to you, what you naturally give advice on, and where your passions are, and then start to ask yourself, okay, so... I'm really passionate about the welfare of animals and serving them and treating them like family, just like, you know, a parent would. And so who, what groups could I talk to and what, are, what kind of talking points could I have and what is the problem out there with dog walkers? I'm just using dogs because I'm using Greg as my example, my former client. Um, you know, and then you start to shape it from there. Once you know what you're passionate about and what you're brilliant at talking about and helping people with, then you start to say, well, what is the problem that I really solve? Who needs this? And then that's when you start to shape your topics and you start to shape your markets. I love that advice, and I think it is so important for you guys to listen. I am I am always going to be harping on that, you know, when God strung together your three billion base pair of DNA, he did it in a particular way. You are not random. You are not like everybody else. You are so unique. You, everybody, is their own unique person. You have your own unique interests and passions, and if you ignore those, that is just going to be to your detriment and even worse, to the detriment of the whole world. I mean, we all need what you mm. were here to do, what you've been put here to say. And so I love your example of the guy who wants to be a speaker and help coaches and he finds out he's really a dog, dog lover. That's such a random, bizarre <laughs> find. You know, it, it really was because he's a trained performer and has done off-Broadway shows, and he's a trained life coach, and it would have seemed like those were the obvious things that he should be doing is coaching singers past their stuff. And that seemed like the obvious thing, but when you talk to him and he says, I don't like it when dog walkers take five to ten dogs at a time. They treat them like a herd as opposed to looking at each animal and loving them and seeing them as a sacred pup that deserves. I mean, this man, I mean, now I'm talking about, like, because he rubs off on me. I mean, it's like, of course I'll pay you more to take my dog only and treat that dog with love like it's your own child. Take my money. Go. Do this for my animal. But it is. It's just such a great example of something that's so surprising that you would never think about it, but it's when but it's when you're in that flow and what you were talking about about the DNA that we're all unique. It's so beautiful the way that you said that, Marnie. I love that. And so we really are each born on this planet with something to do. And when we align with that purpose, everything lines up and happens. All the resources come to us. We just have to take action on them when they come to us. It's when we are constantly in struggle and strife in our life is when we are out of alignment with our divine purpose. Right. Right, and that's where, and that's where it's hitting the head, you know, the head against the brick wall. This time after time, I, I feel like I'm supposed to be, you know, doing this thing, but it's not making any sense. And I love how you say, just step back a little bit, give yourself permission to feel what you really feel, in order to identify what's really under there. And then, you know, there's some next steps. Then once you once you discover your passion, 
once you find out what really turns your crank, what really gets your heart pumping, then uh, let's go on and talk about how to distinguish between genuine and pain messages then at that point. This is a great question. The difference between a genuine versus a pain message. I turn down a lot of clients to work with. And the reason why is is that they have just overcome cancer or divorce or abuse or something really challenging in their life, and we all have those big challenges, one one or more of those areas. And so they come to me and they're like, I just overcame cancer, and I had the most amazing epiphanies, and I need to go out and share it with the world. And because they're in such an empowered space, they think that that's their divine purpose, and it's really not. And what ends up happening is is that they actually have a lot of pain in them still, and instead of really working through the pain, they think by helping other people that, they, that they're ready to help other people, and they end up getting on stage, and you can see that their voices are shaking as they tell their story, and can you hear how my voice is changing, and they get shaky, and they tell their story for two hours instead of the five-minute little portion of it, and it's all about their story, and it's really painful to watch, and it's so raw and so vulnerable. And, you know, instead, these people really need to be working on their own stuff and not deflecting working on their own stuff but trying to save the world with it. When it's really, when, of course, they've learned great lessons, but it's really, there's a difference between learning great lessons and then and being able to share it amongst friends versus, you know, going out there and deciding that that's your life purpose. Absolutely. And I can remember someone who, like you said, had just come through cancer and she said to me, I thought I was ready to give this talk, but when I started rehearsing it, when I started kind of get preparing it and getting ready for it, she said, I realized that it was still too raw. And I think that that's what you're trying to say is when we ourselves get the sense that this is still like a tearjerker for me, <laughs> you know, and it's not like, I mean, sometimes I can tell a story that's no longer raw that is a tearjerker still, but but there's a difference when you're still working through the pain of it yourself versus when you're healed and now you're just sharing it uh, for, like you say, the high points of it. There's a, there's a huge difference there. How is, is there um, like a litmus test that you could say a person will know that they're not ready to share their story if? You know, that's a great question. I've never been asked that, and I'm not sure I know how to answer that question because for me as a trainer, I can watch somebody's body language and I can see if they still have all that pain stuck in their body or not. Mm-hmm. Um, the best advice I, I, would, I would give is to sit and be really still with yourself and journal and really ask yourself if this, if this really is something that you're ready to share and you know, a lot of the times people get up when they're so raw and their pain that it's so vulnerable that it makes the audience uncomfortable, but it also people pick up on that subconsciously and then they have everybody trying to help them and everybody trying to counsel them and then, then they get triggered going, but wait, I'm the expert. And then it becomes a very, very upsetting thing and they actually become more traumatized. So, so what test? I would say be really still. I would say as you're writing your speech, I think what your friend did is perfect. Write the speech, start to practice it, really go present, go slow, and really start to feel when you're sharing it in the mirror how you feel, how you feel the next day, if you feel raw, if you feel too open. I would just really spend time to make sure that you're really present with it. The other other tell sign is if you're sharing your story for more than three to five minutes, it's probably a sign that you're not over it. Because when you share your story, it's important to share it to give you credibility and to help the audience to know that they under, that you understand them. But for people who stand up there and tell their story for 20, 30 minutes, they're just not over it. They have to ramble about it, and it becomes about their story and not about serving the audience with the points that they learned of overcoming. So I think that what your friend is is one of the things they can do, and the second thing is what I had just said in terms of look at the length of time you're spending on it and really look at the way that you're telling the story. Are you telling it in a way where – this is what happened, this is the journey I went through, this is how I overcame it, and now let me go through the three points with you that you could implement in your life. That's really what the story should be positioned as. Yeah, love that. Past versus present and wound 
uh, not wound. It should be it should be really scar versus wound. <laughs> that yeah, helps. yeah. You can hit it, and it doesn't make you scream. Um, because I, I loved what you said earlier is what happens when it's too raw, too vulnerable. People can actually sense that, and they will literally come up to you and try to try to fix you after you're done speaking. And that really wasn't what you got up to do. Um, you really wanted to share with them the key points that you had learned during that. You weren't really asking for counseling. And so when you feel that, you know, when that role reversal happens, it's very uncomfortable, and it's, it's really not what you were trying to go for, unless, unless of course, it was. But, but most people That's right. Know. And it actually causes more trauma and shame, depending on the level you get with yeah. it. Um, you know, and if you're sharing from your pain and people feel like you need to be counseled, they're not going to buy your products and work with you because they can't buy from somebody who doesn't feel empowered to them. Right, because because you actually are still broken, and you actually are. I mean, that's that's what they're feeling. They're feeling the truth of it that you actually are still broken in mm. this area, and so therefore, you know, usually you don't want to go to a doctor who's dying of the disease. He's supposed to be able to cure himself. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just kind of how it is. <laughs> well, this is mine. We're visiting today with Cindy Ashton. Her website is Your Persuasive Voice. Dot com. We're going to come right back and talk about the three most important elements in every speaking. Are you an author or do you know someone who would like to see their book published as soon as possible? Join us at Marnie.com for author training. You will learn how to write it well, get great graphics, attract an agent, format it for e-readers, get good reviews, connect with libraries, and market via media. All over at the author training at Marnie.com. Check it out today. Welcome back. This is Marnie. Our guest today is Cindy Ashton. We're talking about the secrets to securing your speaking success. And right now we want to address, Cindy, the three most important elements in every speech. Excellent. Thank you for asking me this. So one of the things that I see a lot of speakers do is they ramble on and on and on about a story or they ramble on and on and on about some philosophical concept and this poor audience is saying they're going, where is this going and how does this translate to real life? So you want to have, with everything you're teaching in your speech, you want to have three core things included. So the first is you need to have the concept that you're teaching. So whatever that concept is. So if the concept is how to raise a loving dog, through on dog topics today, then, you know, three, three keys to raising a loving dog, then you need to, if, if one of your keys is about um, spending time with your animal, then you'll talk about the philosophy about spending time with your animal. So that's the first component is the philosophy of the overall concept. The second concept, the second part of your speech you need to have is a story to bring that alive. So if you're going to be talking about how to nurture your pet or whatever, you want to have a really beautiful story that, that you tell that brings has the highs and the lows and shows this dog and the journey of Fido, whatever, you know, or Lassie, you know, and be able to tell this amazing story that gets the audience emotionally connected with you, emotionally engaged, and a story that will help them to remember the concept. So you have a concept, but you want to bring that concept alive by demonstrating it in some kind of a story. And then this is great because at this point they've heard a story and then you've explained what the concept is or the message of the story and they're totally on board and now they want to know how to nurture the pet. So then you have to do the third component, which is about give them a simple implementable tool. No, I said simple, implementable tool. A lot of speakers I know have huge hearts. They are big, huge givers like us, and they give so much information that the audience feels so overwhelmed, and it doesn't feel like it's doable. And if an audience doesn't feel like they can actually do it, it will be very hard for them to buy from you and be able to move forward in terms of working with you. So it's really important that when you start to think about the tools, think what is a tool or a strategy I can give people immediately that they can implement right now in the next 24 hours and see a result. Because first of all, it means that you're already changing their life. But secondly, once they're able to implement and have some success, it builds trust with you and builds you as the expert so they can say, wow, if they've got this 
strategy. What else do they have? I have to work with this person. So, you know, as a speaking trainer, I'm just going to give you an example. You know, I do very, very deep work in terms of relaxation, and we're going to talk about that later in the call or in the, in the, in the show. But my process really needs a few weeks. How do I bring that into a concept? So one of the quick tools to speaking with more confidence, what I do is I do a very quick 30-second posture exercise that anybody can do and have an immediate result and change in energy and a change in the way that they walk. And while it's not a and, – and while it's not – the whole story and at least gets them started and already gets them on their way. So to sum up what I'm talking about, you want to have a really great story that has some kind of a concept philosophy message in it. Then you want to, after telling the audience and getting them laughing, crying, emotionally engaged, you want to explain and say, okay, so what we learned from the story was, so you deliver the message of philosophy, the concept, and then you say, okay, so who is ready to now implement this into their life? I'm going to give you one tool right now. So you've got your concept, your story, and your tool. Those are the three parts. That is so great, and I love that. We're just going to keep moving because the hour is going by. So what is the biggest mistake that speakers make when they're creating their talk? Okay, so I feel like we've kind of covered it, but I'm going to um, – but I'm going to say it blatantly now. So the biggest mistake I see, I have so many things I want to share, but I don't want to overwhelm your audience. Just like I told them not to overwhelm theirs. So to recap some of the mistakes I've seen before is not having rambling on non either about the story or about the concept without grounding it into something implementable um, is a really big one. But I'm going to give you one more. The other thing that I see people do is they have the idea of, well, I'm very heart-based and I've got lots of great ideas. I don't really need to plan out my talk. I just know I'm going to talk about wellness or talk about dogs, whatever. And then they speak from their heart. And what that does is they end up rambling and they don't give their, their audience directions. So this is sort of what I said before, but I'm going to give you a strategy right now. What you want to do is think about is fill in this sentence, okay? So all of you fill in the sentence when you're planning your talk. By the end of my talk, you will dot, dot, dot. So, for example, by the end of my talk, you will walk away with three tools to speak with more confidence so you can gain greater respect and increase sales. So that is, that's the end result that I give my audiences when I go and speak. So you want to have an end result and then build your speech around that end result. So the sentence, again, you want to ask yourself, when you're planning out your talk and you've got your topic, ask yourself, by the end of this talk, you will, and then I want you to decide on what the end result is. So my end result is confidence, being able to speak with confidence to increase sales and gain better respect. So that's very concrete. So that's going to be really important for you. So once you've got that by the end of this talk statement, then you plan your whole talk to make sure that it leads to that end result so that by the end of the talk, they do have a result from you, they have achieved something, and they're feeling pumped and ready to implement. Oh, that's so great and so important. I always say start with the end in mind. And if you don't do that, it would be like getting in your car and not knowing where you're going. And you're just gonna, you will end up somewhere, but you may not like where it is. And it's so different if you have a map, if you have a plan, if you're going for your plan and you can schedule it all out and in your talk is so critically important for us to do that. Love that advice. And Thank the you. Last, Absolutely. The last, the last part in this pick perfect topics is kind of an interesting one to have under topics. Your point is that there's a great way to get bookings and credibility, but it's under picking a perfect topic. So describe to us how those two connect. Okay, so you just cut out. What did you, you said something about bookings oh, and then you it. cut out. Okay, under picking perfect topics, the last point is a great way to get good bookings and credibility. But it's under picking a perfect topic. So what does picking perfect topic have to do with getting more bookings and credibility? That's a really, really great question. So this, so what you want to do is, in terms of getting more bookings, it's really important to be very specific. Because I have a lot of life coaches that come to me 
um, people who do self-help, you know, human potential, they all come with very, very generic topics like, well, I help you, you know, be more successful. I help you with goal setting. I help you with, you know, um, um, feeling great, being more gratitude, having more compassion, forgiveness, whatever. Those are all very, very generic. So what you want to do in order to attract more bookings, you really need to very, very much pay down your market and ask yourself, think about your topic and really come to the core of where their pain is, very specifically how it shows up in their life. So I had a client last year who said, well, I have the topic of clutter and I help people to declutter. And I said, yes, but that doesn't tell me anything. Again, it's very generic. And so we ended up drilling it down and we went through that similar exercise in terms of discover who you're always talking about and what you're always talking about. And we discovered that within clutter, very specifically, what she helps people with is that entrepreneurs go out and they network, they come home and their business cards get scattered all over the room and they have no way of following up and they're losing out of tons of business. And that's so much more specific than saying, I speak on clutter. So now she's able to go out and say, I help business owners organize their office so they can follow up on leads and increase sales. So it's very results-driven and it's very specific. So you're going to get a lot more bookings if you go out there and say, well, I help people with clutter, that's very hard to figure out what market you're in, and it's very hard to figure out where you belong. But if you think about how it affects the day-to-day life and really zero in on the market and be able to say, well, I work with entrepreneurs who have problems organizing and are losing business as a result, it's like, boom, we already know she needs women entrepreneur groups. We already know that she probably needs um, to get in touch with some training, you know, HR trainers at different companies um, where they have independent salespeople, um, like insurance places, anywhere where they have independent people under them, they need to get in touch with MLMs. So, for example, just having that specificity, I can't even say the word, has now narrowed them down, and it's very easy to pitch when you see an end result. So even with me, with my talks, I could say, well, I help you to speak better, or I could say you speak more confidently so that you can gain greater respect and increase sales because that's very specifically what's going to happen if, if you let me speak for you. So you really want to look at how does it show up in their life, how does your topic change something in their day-to-day life. And when you get that specific, it's so much easier to get the bookings because they can look at it and they don't have to think and try to figure out what you do. They just know. And then it says, yes, of course, I will absolutely book you. Yeah, awesome. Great advice, great advice. And this has all been part of the Picking Your Perfect Topic. This is Marnie Swedberg visiting with Cindy Ashton today of YourPersuasiveVoice.com. We're going to come right back and talk about polishing your presentation skills and then powerfully connecting on and off stage. We'll be right back. Do you want to be sure to get in on every last training and connection opportunity available for you through Marnie.com? Connect with us today at your favorite social media outlet like Facebook or Twitter via the links at the bottom of the page at Marnie.com. And while you're there, request the Marnie Minute. These are short email notices that go out a few times a week to remind you about valuable online training. Thanks for the honor of partnering with you in ministry and life. Be sure to stop by Marnie.com today. Well, welcome back. We are halfway through our training for secrets to securing your speaking success. And you guys, if you have not already met Cindy Ashton, you want to check out her website at your persuasivevoice.com. Lots of great stuff over there. And Cindy, so excited that you could join us here today. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. I could eat this stuff up and talk about it all day. (laughs) I know you could. And see, that's what makes you a great trainer because you actually could and we can hear that. We're going to talk in this section about polishing your presentation skills. And you actually have three keys to speaking more persuasively. Why don't you take us through those? Sure. So um, 
the three keys to speaking more persuasively. The first is what you want to do is get really clear on what you're going to say. Now, I am pretty anti-scripts. I don't like gestures. I don't like pauses. I don't like splits. Because the minute you try to gesture and stand here and breathe and point here and breathe, it's like, oh, are you a robot? So I am all about connecting with people authentically. So what I do suggest instead of writing out a script is to get really clear of your message. So just like before, um, we had talked about the message instead of saying clutter, you're going to say, I work with entrepreneurs, blah, blah, blah. What you want to do is if you are – networking, you definitely want to have a few sound bites in terms of what the problem and the solution is. Or if you're doing a speech, you want to have the overall structure all written out. So in order to be more persuasive, once you've got that all written out, then you want to just practice it. But not word for word, but letting yourself get into your body and really being able to just feel it and just integrate it. It's kind of like if you do it enough times and you've got the structure on the flow, then it just rolls off your tongue. So it's really important in order to speak persuasively, you have to be crystal clear on the messaging and what you want to say and your stories, understand the order, practice it so that it becomes like walking without being scripted so that you can just naturally be who you are and naturally be able to be excited to talk to people but without having to have the stress of going, um, 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 well, uh, you know. So that's the first thing is be really clear on your messaging and structure. The second key um, is what you want to do is I'm going to actually do the posture exercise. I don't know how to do this on a radio show where you can't visually see me. So maybe maybe I'll try to explain this. And, and, and Marnie, you can tell me if I'm explaining this well without visually okay. seeing me. So a lot of people don't realize how they're carrying themselves. Either their shoulders are too slumped over and their posture is slumpy. And when you're slumping over with your shoulders moving forward, what that reads to people is is that either I'm not confident um, I'm meek, um, I'm, I'm not, I could be easily taken advantage of, or it also could read as I have a lot of grief and heaviness in my life, both of which really come across as a victim, and people will not respect you and treat you with respect, and you won't be able to command as much pay. The opposite end is that there's a lot of people saying, well, stand up straight, shoulders back. But see, as soon as I do this, my voice gets stressful because I'm trying to posture myself and it's very unnatural and I get muscle tension. So how do you find that in-between place in your posture, which is where you're just naturally not too slumped over or not looking like you're trying too hard by pushing everything out and sounding stressful and aggressive? So... What I want you to do is, this is your quick 30-second posture exercise. You're going to put your feet shoulder-width apart. You're going to spread your toes out. You're going to feel your feet on the ground. You're going to bend your knees. You're going to bounce a little bit. Really feel yourself grounding into the ground. Come back up. What you're going to do is bring both of your arms up to the top of your head. So you're, uh, this is why I'm having a hard time explaining it, but it's like you're kind of doing ballet arms and you're circling them up over your head. Does that make sense, Marnie? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, good. Okay. So once you're above your top of your head, I want you to know this. Drop your tailbone. And then what I want you to do is lift your arms even higher so your shoulders go up. And as you lift those higher, take a breath in. And then let go, drop shoulders. And you wind it up three times so that you make sure that your shoulders are relaxed and you're not reaching up to the sky with your shoulders getting tense. So just repeat that. This is the first part you're going to shoulder width apart with your feet. You're going to round your arms up. You're going to stretch up and squeeze up your shoulders, breathe in. Exhale, drop them. Do that three times so they're really dropped and relaxed. Then what I want you to do is mentally observe where your ribs are floating. If you are standing, if you've dropped your tailbone and you've raised your arms and your ribs have naturally risen, your, your ribs should be in the perfect place. So once you feel where those ribs are, you're going to slowly bring down your arms, maintaining your lifted ribs. So that's the key is that most people start to bring down their arms too quickly and then they go boom and they collapse. So you want to really drop your arms nice and slowly, 
feel where the ribs are. And then what you should feel is your ribs are lifted, but you're not pushing your chest out. And you should feel your shoulders drop and your scapulas drop. Those are like those, I don't know if they are, how to explain them. Um, but uh, on your back, you know, the shoulder blades, that's what they're called in English. Okay. Shoulder scapula is English too, but it's too anatomical. But the shoulder blades should also be dropped. So you just want to notice that that's your natural posture. And to be more persuasive, if you're not slumped over like the victim or, or, or pushing your shoulders back too far, like you're aggressive, by being in your natural posture, it opens your chest, which makes you very open for people to approach you, but it also releases and relaxes a lot of your muscles. So you come across relaxed and more magnetic as opposed to stressed or in your victim. I love that. And I just want to say what was great is that you used my exact word. I had written down two words uh, when you started talking about posture. And uh, one of them was float. Uh, because that's kind of how I, um, that's kind of how I know that I am in what I'll call the zone where I'm in my comfort zone. I'm in my place of passion. I am, I'm, I am presenting myself and the information from a true, genuine, authentic place is I feel almost like I'm floating instead of um, forcing myself to move across the stage or move in front of people. That is it. And the other word I had written down, Cindy, is playful. For me, it's almost like playing with the information that I'm sharing. I'm, I'm just kind of tossing it. I, I know exactly where I'm going to go, but I don't, like you said, I don't know exactly which words are going to come in which order. I know exactly what I'm going to share, but not necessarily how it's going to play out specifically. I play with the information, and I love how you taught us there to, how to do a physical exercise that can just teach us how to, how to have that sensation of floating. There was one more thing before you get to your third point here of speaking persuasively that came to my mind is that, and it goes back up to the first subject where we were talking about selecting your perfect topic. If you pick a topic that you are very comfortable with, that you have trained in, that you um, have a lot of experience and you have great stories and you feel very comfortable with the topic, you're much less likely to need to uh, focus a lot on, on the body because your body will be comfortable with the information. I don't know. Does that make sense to you? Yes. It's like muscle memory. Yeah, correct. That's right. what it is. It's exactly you get cell memory or muscle memory. That's exactly what I was saying about mm-hmm. know what you want to say and just practice it, not to be scripted, but so that right. it just becomes, it just rolls off your tongue. Right. It's so naturally you that, of course, you're going to present it naturally <laughs> because it would be hard to not present it naturally. Exactly. Exactly. I don't want people scripted because then you lose your heart and people don't connect with mm-hmm. robots. Really. Right. Right. Love it. Okay, so what's the third part of this? Okay, so the third part of it is that there's a lot of people who are very nervous about public speaking or about networking and communicating. So I'm going to give you within I'm going to give you a tool right now to get you more relaxed. So what you want to do is have some kind of a sensory memory. This is an acting thing that we do as actors. And you want to have some kind of a sensory memory that triggers you in some way triggers you to be more relaxed, triggers you to laugh, triggers you to be more joyful. It's something that will totally just get you out of the nerves and into a lighter energy. So, for example, I had a client who just was a lack of nerves, and I was doing breathing exercises with her, and no matter what I did, it wasn't working. And I finally turned to her and I said, can you think of a time that you had the best sex you've ever had? And she burst out laughing, and she got a real image in her head about that. And now, before she goes on stage or anything, because she's an introvert, she thinks of that moment, she bursts out laughing and releases all of her stress. And now when she walks into a room, she carries confidence and she looks relaxed and joyful, and you want to engage with her. So for her, that worked. I have another client that thinks about, um, her daughter used to jump out of a closet with sequins or something. So that's her trigger. So whenever she feels nervous, she closes her eyes for a moment and she imagines her daughter at three years old jumping out of a closet with sequins going, ah! and that just puts an instant smile on her face and relaxes her. For some people, um, it could be a song. So I know for me, because I'm also a singer, 
if I get nerves, if I sing a certain song, it will put me in an emotional state. So it, for some people, they could sing or listen to a piece of music. Some people are just looking at a picture. Other people don't need the laughter. They, they need something more calming, so they'll look at a picture of a mountain or an ocean. So you really have to kind of play and ask yourself to get me out of my nerves and back in my body and into my joy Play around with different sensories, different emotions, different um, things from your past, things that make you happy, a funny scene from a movie. Um, you know, if I need to laugh, sometimes I think of that scene in The Pink Panther 2 when Steve Martin pretends to be the Pope and falls off the balcony. <laughs> so if I ever really need to laugh on stage and make it really, really authentic and it's just not coming, I just think of that moment and then I burst out laughing. So start to play around with discovering if it's a movie for you, if it's a song for you, if it's a memory, whatever it is, and play around and try to come up with three to five different sensories that you can pull on at any time to get you out of nerves and into your body. Love that. Love that. And uh, one that I'm going to throw in, too, if you're a beginning speaker or maybe you've had a bad experience on a stage and you are scared to go back up now because of that bad experience, the number one thing to do is make sure that the first thing you're going to say out of your mouth when you get up there is the thing you're most comfortable with. So if it's, if it's a story that you're going to start with, if it's an analogy or whatever, make sure that it's one that you love, one that you tell all the time and people always you know, engage with you with laughter, however it is, the, your favorite, most confident places where you should start and then go into the rest of your program because you will already have built that first win. I don't know, Cindy, for me, that first win is so important when you get up there that you don't get up there and kind of stutter around, but that you just launch strong, and then after that it can kind of roll from there. I love it. That's beautiful. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing, Marnie. And talk, talk to us about resonators. What are they? What are resonators? So this is all the singers on the line are going to go, yes, I know what a resonator is. <laughs> so um, your resonators, they are the spaces in which sound vibrates. So to bring that into a more real-world explanation, if you have a drum and you beat on the drum, the sound resonates throughout the core and comes out the bottom where the opening is. So that's where the resonator comes in. It's the thing that produces the sound, the spaces where the sound vibrates and comes out. So here's an exercise we can all do together. Um, you may not want to do this if you're in a crowded room. People are going to think you're weird. So you may want to isolate yourself for this exercise unless you're totally shameless. Um, what I want you to do is buzz like a bee. So just to kind of give you the example of where your resonators are. So just stay with me as I, as I talk you through this. So you're going to buzz like this. And I want you to notice where the vibration is. Is it, is it, is it in your nose? So you feel like a shaking in your nose. Or is it where it feels higher in your head? Or where it feels lower in your throat? So we all vibrate in our resonators. Our sound vibrates in our body in some place or another. Ideally, we want to vibrate in our face. Not our nose or else we sound nasal, but we want to vibrate in our face so the sound sounds very open. Most people are down in their throats and they sound like this, and most people are not fully using their resonators and they're very wispy sounding, which isn't very confident. Uh, there's also people who are too nasal because they're pushing their vibration into their nose. So what you want to do is just hum and feel like you've got a bee in your face and just notice where you resonate. Where do you feel the vibration, the little buzzing? You can also try to... And then you'll feel like your lips if you're really having a hard time. So try that. And then once you've got that, see if you can play with moving the sound around. And that means that you go... And then you're so not exactly like a bee. Pardon? And then you sound exactly like a real bee. <laughs> I know, right? I call it the bee game. I mean, when I first started teaching, speaking and singing and all that, I was, I was like 22 working in kindergarten, and then a child peed on me accidentally, and that was it. Um, very very cute little three-year-old in my lap, and I'm like, really? You have to pee? Um, but, yeah, so I still do the bee game with my adults, and they all think it's hilarious, and it's a great stress reliever because we just acknowledge it's ridiculous. But what I do, you sound like a bee when you try to do that because what you're trying to do is see if you can move the sound around and then eventually you want to move it to ma, 
Ma, my, hello, how are you? So, I mean, again, this is stuff that people spend weeks with me on. But eventually, once you learn to speak in your resonators and the open spaces within your face, then it allows your sound to be naturally big. A lot of um, speaking trainers are not singers, which means that they try to get you just to speak louder. But do you see how that just sounds aggressive and like you're pushing your voice? So my whole thing is you don't need to push. It's about connecting with your breath and developing this, the open spaces so that you sound naturally beautiful when you speak without having to push. Hmm. But for now, as a starter, because you're not working with me weeks on end, just start to buzz around and play with that. <laughs> okay, well, while you're buzzing, we're going to take our last break. Don't go away because we're going to come back, back and talk about powerfully connecting on and off stage. We'll be right back. Are you personally or do you know of a Christian woman speaker who would love to share a personal testimony or program at local women's events? Womenspeakers.com is the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, now receiving over 25,000 website hits a day by event planners everywhere. If you're a speaker, you need to be at Womenspeakers.com. There are free and paid listings available, but just be sure to get your contact information over there today. That's Womenspeakers.com. Oh my goodness, this hour has flown by. We've got 10 more minutes. Cindy, talk to us about powerfully connecting on and off stage. First of all, let's talk about body language. Great. I love talking about body language. So again, a lot of trainers out there, and there's no right and wrong. I think it's just a different method. But a lot of them are going to tell you to stand here, pose here. If you point a certain way, that that's the way to be powerful. And so while scientifically they have proven a lot of this stuff, I would like to add to that you could be pointing and gesturing all you want, but if you've got a lot of body stress, so right now I'm carrying a lot of stress in my body. Did you hear how I changed my voice just by simply having stress in my chest? Mm-hmm. So the thing is, is that we are subconsciously picking cues up from people all the time. And so while the gestures and the pointing your toe a certain way and pointing your finger a certain way definitely gives us some psychological triggers, to me, there's much deeper things happening within your body that is being picked up on a subconscious level. Marnie, have you ever met somebody and everything looks right on paper? They've got good credibility, their website looks great, they're saying all the right things, and yet for whatever reason, you're just turned off by them or you just don't trust them. Mm-hmm. Something just doesn't match up. Something just doesn't match up. And, you know, everybody listening for the most part has probably gone out networking. And I guarantee you, if you think about it, there's been times where you've met people where you don't know why, but you want to run and you want to close off your body and you don't want to be with them. And then there's other people where you go, ha, and you just relax your body and you don't know why. And they're not doing anything overtly wrong. But the thing is, is that you're picking up on the stress in their body. So when we talk about body language, I really help people to identify where it is that they're holding stress in their body because we all hold stress in in our body and help them to become aware of it. We're going to do an exercise right now, actually. But I help them to become aware of it so that they can understand how they're coming across. And so if they're having a really stressful day but they still need to get on the phone or they still need to network or they still need to speak, how to be able to deal with that so they minimize it so they don't come across in a way that repels or pushes people away. So some of the, before I do a little assessment with everybody for them to find their stress in their body, one of, you know, I'm going to give a couple of examples of how we hold our stress and what that means. So people who hold stress up in their shoulders, so these people who have raised shoulders, now my shoulders are raised. Can you hear how my voice has gotten more nasal when it feels more aggressive to you? Mm-hmm. So this comes across, depending on where your body posture is with the stress, you either come across like you're trying too hard and you're too aggressive and that really pushes people away or it bullies them and you don't want to bully people whether on purpose or not, or it comes across as, okay, I'm up here and I'm stressed in my shoulders. It comes across like somebody who is scared and not very confident because they've left their body because they're not grounded in their, in their lower body. They're not breathing from down there. I had um, a CFO that I was training, big, powerful CFO, and he was all up there, and I helped him to drop all that stress and breathe from his diaphragm down into his belly and relax in his body, and he came up to me and he says, 
do you realize that my wife yells at me all the time and I don't know what happened with the way I'm walking and talking, but she doesn't yell at me nearly as much. There's something, it's like she just knocks off. And I said, it's because you're gaining greater respect from her because you don't carry your stress in a way that makes you look like a scared child. So that's one of the patterns. Another pattern I see a lot is people who have very, a lot of stress or tension in their chests. What that usually means is people with that kind of heaviness has, um, it means that they're carrying a lot of grief. And again, by the way, we all carry stuff in our body. This isn't about putting anybody into a feeling of shame. We all have stuff that we're carrying. It's about learning to love ourselves exactly as we are, but being aware of it. So we don't try to get rid of it, but we at least try to manage it because we've got ups and downs in life. You just need to manage it. So the stress in the chest usually tells me that somebody has deep, deep wounds of grief that they really need to work on acknowledging. You know, people who are extremely, extremely tight in their stomach and unable to access that often tells me that either they've had some kind of sexual trauma and they can't, and it's, and it's a real fear thing, or it tells me that they have a lot of instability in their life, that they don't have a lot of stability in their life. So it's, it's, I've been doing this for over 15 years, and I wonder if anyone's done studies on this, but I have noticed over the 15 years consistently, I would say almost 100% consistently, certain where people hold their pain in their body is exactly or where they hold their stress and their pain tells me a lot about what's been happening in their life, which is really interesting. I'm like a walking intuitive or something. I don't want to say intuitive, but um, I can read a lot about someone's life based on where they hold their stress. Hmm, interesting. And it subconsciously reads to other people. So could, do we have time, Marnie, to do a quick exercise for people to yeah, start to assess where their stress is? Okay, cool. So what I want you to do is put one hand on your chest, one hand on your belly, and I want you just to really not try to breathe, and now that I've told you to breathe and notice, you're going to try to, but just as much as possible, just close your eyes, you know, continue to breathe as natural as you can, and notice if in your inhale, if your chest rises or if on your inhale, your belly rises, or if it's a little bit of both. So healthy breathing is in the diaphragm, which is a concave-looking muscle that goes along the base of the ribs. So if you're breathing down into the lower part of the ribs, right from the bottom, and if you are totally filling up that space, um, then your diaphragm will push down and, and actually push all your guts down, which is why your stomach goes out. So if you're breathing down into your belly, what that is is very healthy breathing, and it means that you have far less stress in your body. But if you're breathing in your chest, that's when you start to sound like you're either in your victim or like you're up in your chest and you're trying too hard because it's all up there and the sound isn't down in your belly where your safety, your security, your groundedness, your power is. So if you're in your chest and you're feeling a lot of that stress, what I'm going to give you as an exercise to do is to lie in your bed, and even if you are in your diaphragm, this is good for you to do. So just lie down in bed, and you're there, you know, all night, eight hours a night. So before you go to bed and in the morning, I want you just to have your hand gently on your belly, close your eyes, and start to feel yourself relax and drop into the belly and start to notice the sensation. And once you've got that sensation, start to take an inhale for four counts, Filling up the belly and then exhale, exhale all the air nice and slow. And what that does is it stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system, which slows down the heart rate, it releases muscle tension, and it focuses your mind. So just do that for five minutes every night. And as you're breathing and exhaling longer than your inhale, do a body scan, start to notice where you're holding your muscle tension, breathe into where you feel tense. And then relax it. Another way to get rid of tension is put on music and dance. (laughs) Freestyle in your living room. So those are a couple of things you can do. That's great. I have a question, just clarifying question. You said to exhale longer than you inhale. I've always wondered about that 
about how much longer is it supposed to be? Just a, a second per five seconds or? Oh, uh, that's a great question. So healthy breathing should be about equal in terms of in and out for two or three seconds each with a natural lift in between. That's natural breathing. So, you know, I would start by breathing in for four and exhaling for four and making sure you exhale all the air or else you're going to get dizzy. And then once you feel like your breath is at least balanced, then try to exhale for six counts and then, again, then try to extend it to eight counts. So in for four and out for eight. And eventually drop into your body and just let it be very natural so you let go of the control and you just let yourself naturally drop into a relaxation. Cool. That's great. Let's talk about the power of your personal imperfections. I'm so curious what you're going to say here because I feel so strongly that each of us has specific special imperfections that are just unique to us. (laughs) And, And where is the power in that? You know what the power is, is that it makes you human. It makes you relatable and it gets you out of being a robot. Being a robot creates a barrier or what it does is when you come across trying to be too perfect, you end up attracting the wrong types of crowds. You end up attracting the crowds that are like, oh, look how perfect they are. And these people tend to be very wounded and they just want to be like your puppy dog. And they're just not the kind of clients or audiences that you want. They're just not very empowered people. And that's okay because we all go through that. But when you are willing to let your imperfections out, like that snort that you have or that funny laugh or the little kick you've got in your shoulder, whatever that is, it's really quite lovable. It's so lovable. And then it makes you human. And when you're totally who you are, what happens is, is that you end up attracting audience members who either get you or they don't, and then you end up with raving fans and you end up with great clients because they love you for that imperfection. It's what makes you human, relatable, and connectable. I love that. Love it. And the last thing that we have time for today is the biggest mistake speakers make when networking and what to do to create raving fans. Oh, um, the biggest mistake is the aggressive, let me shove my business card in your hand without making a real connection. So the way to, uh, to really network is know your value. We've already talked about your messaging. But know your persona. And I don't want to mean persona in a fake way, but let's like know what you're selling, your overall concept, and what you bring to the marketplace. So let me give you an example. Nike doesn't sell the strength of their soles or the strength of their of their shoelaces. What they're doing is they're selling the bigger concept of victory. So if I was going to meet somebody from Nike. Um, at a networking thing, they would come dressed as somebody victorious. They would have a personality that's victorious. Everything about them would read as victory. If you look at somebody like Richard Branson, you know, or if you, you know, Virgin, um, he's not selling a flight. He's not selling music. He's selling adventure. So everything that he does carries that adventure. It's the same thing with me. I tend to sell courage. I give people the courage to be themselves. So when you're networking and to get raving fans, it's about people buying into a bigger something. So once you know what your bigger something is, so for me it's courage. For Nike it's victory. For um, for Virgin it's adventure. Once you know what that is, the brilliant thing is, is then you start to think of, well, what does what does, that, what, is, what does that look like in terms of the types of clothing I wear? What's the colors I'm going to wear? What is my business card going to look like? What is my talks going to include? And it starts to shape the experience that you give people. And when you give people an experience, like going on a Virgin America flight and having a hilarious safety video, people will remember that and it will be memorable. So you want to figure out what the experiences that you give people and then ask yourself how you could actually deliver that in every part of your business so that it becomes a really cool thing that people just know you as the adventurous soul or the victorious soul or whatever that is, and they're buying into the experience that you give them and not the product. Awesome, awesome. Cindy Ashton, thank you for this amazing hour of teaching us secrets to securing our speaking success. Thank you, my dear. You will rock it. <laughs> so happy thank you. Okay, and you guys, you can check out more about Cindy over at her website, yourpersuasivevoice.com. That's yourpersuasivevoice.com. And you want to check out all the other trainings over at marty.com. And we will see you next time. Have a great day. Bye-bye for now.